up and speaking to us today. Terry, fantastic. Thank you so much. I love, I've always loved coming here. I love your fellowship. I love the openness. I love the way you share together. It's a joy. And it's a blessing to be here again this morning. And uh, yeah, I wonder whether to give a testimony when they ask for testimony. I had an unexpected experience a few weeks ago. Uh, I gave blood in the, the way that one does once a year, just to test. And I don't usually even phone in to ask what the score was. I leave it. You know, I think it's all straightforward. Then I had a phone call from the doctor saying, I'd like to see you. I said, okay, we're going to see him. You don't, I don't see a doctor. You just speak to a machine. And, uh, and he, he showed me a screen. He said, these are your figures over the last few years on that graph. This one goes like that. Uh, there's something wrong with your blood. And uh, he showed me a screen with a number of possibilities of what it could be. One was pregnancy. I thought it was like that. But, uh, uh, and he actually wrote off most of them. And the last one was myeloma, which is cancer of the blood, from which my sister died five years ago. And he said, I, I really fear you've, you know, this could be very serious. And I said, well, I'm going to Canada next week. Uh, uh, he said, I want you to go to the hospital. I said, well, no, no, I'm all booked up. I'm going. He said, no, I don't think you are. And we had this uh, rather unpleasant time. And he said, no, you need to get into hospital. We need to deal with this. And uh, we can do chemo for you. There's no cure for it. We can delay things. Uh, we could take fluid out of your spine, freeze it, put it back in again. It's all a bit unpleasant. And uh, you know, this was just a casual visit to see how things are going. And suddenly we're talking some serious stuff. And uh, so I thought, okay. Uh, so I sent a message to the three locations I was going to in Canada and two on the west coast of the USA. And uh, I, I communicated with my children, said, hey, uh, looks like this is pretty serious. And I went to a prayer meeting the next day in the home of a guy called Steve Brading, who is a wonderful man. And uh, we prayed together every Wednesday morning when we were around. And we've been doing that for some years, pray for revival. It started with just the two of us, about 10 of us now. And uh, I, I didn't want to talk about it because I thought, I don't want to focus all the prayer meeting on that. So uh, we're just worshipping. And as we're worshipping, uh, Steve's somewhat prophetic. And he said, I, I just see the Lord coming and kind of pouring glory on all of us. And uh, we're just there. We, we usually have very good prayer meetings. That's the high spot of my week. I love being there. But this was quite extraordinary. There was such an outpouring of the Spirit. I've not been anything quite like it since probably the 90s. We were just overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the Spirit. It was just wonderful. And then my phone went in my pocket. The doctor, would you come in again, please? So we're going again. I'll take some more blood. Okay, take some more blood. And then, uh, you know, I've cancelled the flight to Canada and all the rest of it. And then... Uh, I'm giving this second lot of blood. And then a couple of days later, I get this further phone call saying, uh, we don't understand this. Um, I'm very, very sorry. There must have been a laboratory mistake <laughs> on your first uh, thing. And uh, we, that never happens. But uh, we will really be complaining to the laboratory. Because I told them about cancelling flights and cancelling conferences in America. And, you know, we... <laughs> So it was rather wonderful. He said, he said, there's nothing wrong. It's all clear. And so I thought, that's good news. So I said, <laughs> so I said, so can, can, I, can I go to Canada? He said, go where you like. So, <laughs> so we, we did it. Having cancelled the flights, we had to put them back up again. It all got a bit complicated. But we had a superb time over there. And uh, 
Yeah, so that's my testimony. I thought, when you were saying give testimony, I thought, oh, I'm sure you're my testimony. Don't often do that when you're a guest, do you? But uh, it's nevertheless very real and uh, very exciting, and uh, we're grateful to God that uh, we got that answer. Hallelujah. Now, I've been asked to speak, or just to say, may I? Um, you know, 2020 was uh, sounded so good. It's like, what a year, 2020. It's the perfect vision, a great year. And uh, what happened was everything, everything went. You can't, all these appointments I had had to go. And said, what do I do? What do I do? I've got, to, I've got no, no appointments. And I felt God spoke to me and said, to write. So I've written this book, um, God's Treasure Possession. I really felt I fellowship with Jesus in doing it. I felt often he kind of drew near and gave me breakthroughs when I wasn't quite sure which way to go. And uh, so I commend it to you. It's uh, hot off the press. It's on the table back there. Uh, God's Treasure Possession. There are other titles back there as well. Uh, God's Lavish Grace, probably the book I've had most come back to from people. I was thrilled recently on Zoom, one of the things we discovered these last few days, the last few years rather, um, on Zoom with 17 Mexicans, because there's a Spanish edition of it recently. So, such fun to ask, answer questions about grace uh, by Zoom uh, into, into Mexico. So it's a joy to know it's having impact. And if you've not read God's Lavish Grace, that's on the table and a few other things on the table. Okay, now I'm taking my time, aren't I? So... Um, if I'm, I'm going to speak to you about receiving the Holy Spirit. I've been asked to speak to you on this theme, and I'm very, very happy to do so. Receiving the Holy Spirit. I'm hoping to make it clear as to how that happens, and it can happen this morning. So maybe you've been one answer, asking questions about that. You think, can I, can I be filled with the Spirit? Yes, you can. You could be filled with the Spirit this morning. So I'd like you to listen like that, thinking, hey, this could be the very day I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. Because sometimes we're a bit perplexed. We don't quite know how it works. I know the day I got filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, years and years ago, I came home from London where I was prayed for, uh, and my sister said, did you get it? So I said, yeah, I did. Oh, pray for me. And before I got my hands on her, she's crying. Oh, God, please, please give me And there's no faith there at all. It was going, oh. It was a terrible end to what was been a wonderful day. And I thought Satan said to me, you got it in London. You haven't brought it home. But really, I'd not taught her what the Bible says. I'd not explained. I'd not brought her to a place where she could see with faith what was available. And when I began to see that later, and began to see, no, no, if you can teach from the Bible what the Bible says, then people come expectant. And I was able to do that later. She went to Bible college. I traveled down and said, now listen, verse, 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 verse. And when they saw it, I laid hands on her and her roommate, and they both got filled with the Spirit. Both started speaking in tongues and praising God. And I thought, oh, that's the way. You've just got to show people what the Bible says, rather than, oh, God, are you there somewhere? Is it possible? Uh, you know, we just need to see the truth. You should know the truth. The truth should make you free. And I want to do that this morning. So Acts 1 uh, verse 4 says, Gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And when they come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times and epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part 
of the earth. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here now. We know that you're amongst us. We so love singing these great songs, worshipping you together. Holy Spirit, we just ask you, come and be our teacher. Rest upon us. Open the eyes of our heart. Give us confidence in your word. We ask you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So these words, I think, in verse 8 are, some people call it the key to understanding the book of Acts. Because Jesus is saying to these guys, you shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. Of course, it's quite challenging when you look at the gospel stories and you see these men, that they were often getting it wrong, uh, come to the cross and the crisis, they all ran away. Peter's denial is famous, but it says they all ran. And yet, shortly after this, it says, these men are turning the world upside down. How on earth do these guys turn the world upside down? Because they are not impressive people. They're failures in the main. And yet they're changed, radically changed. And suddenly the gospel's breaking out and thousands are becoming Christian and churches are being formed all over the place. There's an energy factor that's kicked in that they didn't know before. There's a coming upon of Holy Spirit power, which is what Jesus promised them. Now, they're Jewish guys, so they know their Bibles. So it wouldn't be like, what's he talking about? I've never heard of such a thing. No, no. In the Bible, you'll find the Spirit coming upon people often. You find the judges. You find, for instance, Gideon. First time you see Gideon, he's hidden away in a cave. It says that he's threshing the wheat. We don't thresh wheat in a cave. You need breeze to blow it. I mean, he's really quite cowardly man. And yet the Bible says the Spirit clothes Gideon. and He became a powerful warrior. We find Samuel poured oil on David. And it says on that, from that time, the Spirit came upon David. He became an incredible warrior, an amazing king. There were these people upon whom the Spirit came, and they were dramatically empowered. So when Jesus said, you should receive power, it's like, oh, yeah, that happened. That happened. It happened when Elijah, you call, Elijah fulfilled his ministry, and it's obvious Elisha is to be his replacement. And you get that strange story in 2 Kings 2, where it's almost like Elijah's trying to shake him off. You remember that story? Now, go away, go away. And he said, no, I won't leave you, I won't leave you. And in the end, he said, look, if I'm going to carry on doing what you did, I must have the same power that was on you. I mean, it's the same as the disciples. Jesus was clothed with power. And Elisha's saying, I must have that same power. And Elijah says to him, if you see me go, then you know you've received it. That's an unusual sort of thing. So he doesn't feel anything, it seems. But he does see him go. And when they came that way, it says they crossed the Jordan, and Elijah took his cloak and, and, and hit the river, and it opened. And, and so he saw the cloak, he saw him go, and it, the cloak fell. He said, wow, I saw it. He said, if I see it. There's a faith element, you see. He said, oh, okay, wow, here I go then. Uh, where is the spirit of Elijah? Wow, and the river opens. He wow, yes, it works. And he knows he's empowered, empowered. So these things keep happening in the Old Testament. Moses is told, lay hands on Joshua, that he may have what you had. He needs that empowering. At one time, Moses is absolutely exhausted being the shepherd of two million people. He says, Lord, help. I can't handle all this. And God says, choose 70 guys. So they choose 70 guys. And God says to Moses, I'll take some of the spirit that's on you and put it on the 70. 
And it says that's what happened. They gathered at the tent of meeting, and God took the spirit that was on Moses, put it on the surface, and they all started prophesying. There was this manifestation of the spirit. So God was taking on a new phase and giving us an example in the Old Testament of what was going to happen in the New Testament. This coming upon of the spirit on a crowd, formerly just on one guy. And so in the Old Testament, you've got these characters, mostly prophets, judges, kings, that are anointed, they're empowered, they're enabled to do things by the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. So when Jesus said to these guys, you shall receive power, they know what that means. It's in your Bible. So it's fascinating to see it wasn't just a strange thing to them. But in the Old Testament, it did tend to be key individuals. And then you get these prophecies in the Old Testament. Isaiah speaks about a day when the Spirit will be poured out from on high. And then Joel, even more, says, In the last days, I'll pour my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. It's going to come a time of a great outpouring. And when it happens on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches and quotes that verse. This is the fulfillment. This is where the Spirit is available to all, no longer just for isolated, special people. All can be empowered. That's what Peter says on that day. So, you know, for me and for you, you know, where do we fit in? That was the challenge I got as a young Christian. I, I was a terrible Christian at first. I was ever so backslidden from day one almost. Uh, and I wasted like four or five years. Terrible waste of time. And then one Sunday I'm in church and God spoke. And I felt I'm the only man in this church. There's probably 700 there, big Baptist church. And I felt so, God. It was really penetrating. I felt he said, I want your life, and I want it now. And I felt he said this, I won't speak to you about this again. And that really scared me. Because I felt, he's spoken to me lots of times. I was a very messy Christian. I often felt, often felt convicted. It's like, I won't speak again. That terrified me. So I thought, if he doesn't speak to me again, where would I finish up? Because I knew the way I was living. I said, well, I'll give you my life then. So I, I, I lost all my friends. I left my whole lifestyle and started going to church much more wholeheartedly and getting into church life. It was then that I felt a need of power. I didn't need power to backslide, but now I want to live as a Christian. And my old Baptist pastor, one day he preached and said, are you like Peter before Pentecost or Peter after Pentecost? We didn't need to apply it a lot for me because I knew I'm like Peter before Pentecost. I, I long for this enabling, this empowering. And so we ask, is, is that there for us? And you'll get different answers. That's what I found when I began to study it and look at it and wonder, is this for me? Can I, can I escape my weakness? I felt terribly weak, particularly as a witness, uh, disastrous. I thought, Lord, I want to be a witness for you. And I thought, what does it say in the Bible? And you get different answers from different people. So some great famous evangelicals, like, like John Stott, wonderful, wonderful man of God, he would say, no, when you get saved, you've got everything. Effectively, you have it. Of course, you can keep growing in it, but you, there's nothing more to seek. Whereas the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, oh, no, you need to seek the coming upon of the Spirit. So I at one time thought, well, if they can't work it out between them, there's no hope for me. But then I gradually got into it and thought, Lord, I must have this. I must have this empowering. And I felt that God showed me that you can find in the Scripture a kind of pattern that stimulates faith and helps us understand 
how. And we have to just look at what happened for new Christians in the book of Acts. If you just look at the day of Pentecost, it's quite difficult because those disciples were followers of Jesus before the cross had happened. But Jesus actually says to them, before the cross, you are clean. You say, how are they clean? He says, it's difficult to follow. You know, they, they believed in Jesus before the cross. They believed in Jesus after the resurrection. They believed, so they, they lived through the whole thing. I want to know what happened to somebody who came to Christ when all these things had happened. Then what happened? Because you see, the Gospels all point forward. The Gospels say things like this, the Spirit is coming. When the Spirit comes, you'll find the end of John's Gospel says, I'm going, the Spirit's coming, the Spirit's coming, He's going to be with you. So it's all pointing forward. The Gospels all say it's going to happen. The epistles take it for granted it has happened. So in the epistles, you're not told to receive the Spirit because, well, you're Christians, aren't you? It's like in the epistles, no one is told to get baptized. Have you ever noticed that? You read all the epistles, Romans, well, Paul, Peter, James, John, no one says you should get baptized. Why? Because they're already baptized. They're Christians. And so the Gospels are looking forward. This is going to happen. The epistles are looking back saying, well, all this has happened. So many of Paul's uh, letters about things that have happened. Don't you know that this has happened and so on? So the way we can find out how it happened is to look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts shows us what happened. Okay, so I'm going to just quickly look and a few verses in here to show us a few examples of what happened. All right, now, I want to say this. The Bible says the wind blows where it will. All right, you can't contain him. So I'm going to show you some principles, and the Holy Spirit may just blow them all away anyway, because he's wind, he's fire, he's water. He, he's unpredictable. But nevertheless, there is a pattern which I think can help us to understand and believe. So let me, I'll just show you three places. The first one is Acts chapter 8, where we read that Philip, the evangelist, went down to Samaria and preached, and people got saved. Right? So it says in Acts 8, verse 12, when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Right? So these are people who become Christians. They're being baptized. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. All right, so they've already received the word. They've already been baptized. They're clearly Christians. But these apostles come down and say, hmm, hmm, you need to be filled with the Spirit. So they lay hands on them, and they receive the Spirit. It says, verse 16, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So this is, their testimony would be saved through Philip's preaching, baptized. A few days later, hands were laid on me, and I received the Spirit. That would be their testimony. Right, then in Acts te- uh, 9, so that's Acts, 8, Acts 9, you get the conversion of Paul, where Paul says later on, the God of glory appeared to us in the face of Jesus Christ. The God who created all things appeared to us. And he had this experience of Jesus coming to him and shone into his heart, giving him the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's, a, I'm sure, a testimony of what happened to him on that Damascus road. He had an encounter with Christ. 
And, uh, and then what we often fail to see is there this brother, this most famous conversion in the Bible, really. It says, verse 17, Ananias, who's not an apostle, not a famous guy at all. In fact, you don't see him anywhere else in the Bible. Just one name, an obedient believer. He comes to Saul, and, and after laying hands on him, says, brother, Saul is a Christian brother now, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul's experience was converted this encounter on Damascus Road. Three days later, if we read the whole passage, you find three days later, Ananias laid hands on him and he received the Holy Spirit. It's a very brief account. doesn't say anything about speaking in tongues or prophesying. Although later Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all you Corinthians. So he's into it. But uh, that, that's that one. Then Acts 19. I'll just take you to this third one. As I said, we'll do it quickly. I find nine, Acts 19 very interesting. Because Acts 19, you get these things together, but one by one. See what I mean? Acts 19. Paul comes to Ephesus and found some disciples. Now, normally you would think that means Christians, and normally it does, but doesn't always. Sometimes the disciples of the Pharisees, sometimes disciples of John the Baptist, and he found some disciples. It looks like he thought they were Christians from the text. He says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've never even heard there is a Holy Spirit. He said to them, into what then were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. Now, John the Baptist led a sweeping, we could call it revival, if you like. It says all, Ju all Judea went out to hear John. So there was a massive awakening unto John the Baptist, and he had many disciples. Many people followed John, and that's what these guys are. They're followers of John the Baptist, says quite plainly. They'd only been baptized with John's baptism, which is get ready message, prepare the way of the Lord. That's John the Baptist, down the mountains, up the valleys, get ready, get ready. That's what he's saying. So in verse 4, Paul says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, they have now become Christians. Before, they were disciples of John the Baptist. This must have happened to many people who were awakened first by John and then led later to Christ. And then it says this, he baptized them. In other words, they're now Christian. Then, it's almost like the baptismal water is dripping off them. And it says, verse 6, Then, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, it's interesting that what happened in Samaria, which was spread over a few days, now happens in one day, but you see the same steps. Led to Christ, put your trust in him, baptized, then they laid hands on them, and the Spirit came upon them. So when I said earlier, you know, there are different attitudes and thoughts about the Holy Spirit, and we could have said more. There are quite a few thoughts about the release of the Spirit, and all kinds of language people have come up with that's not actually in the Bible. But so in the Bible, it says this, what we've just looked at. So the John Stott position, and I do esteem him very greatly, so don't please think I'm despising John, the John Stott. He's an amazing man amazing teacher. But he says you've got everything 
at conversion, strictly. It's There's nothing more to seek. But these guys, they would say, well, actually, I was saved on this day. And then that day, I received the Spirit. That would be their testimony. In other words, they would say, well, I didn't get everything the first day. And also, if you ask people who hold that teaching, who say, well, I've got everything at conversion. There's nothing more to seek. And sometimes I kind of reject the whole idea of looking for more. Uh, if, that, if, if they say, well, yeah, we've, we've got all there is. And often if you say to them, well, are you full of the Spirit then? Are you saying you are full of the Spirit? What you'll find is they tend not to say yes. They tend to say, well, I'm moving on to that. You know, that will be a gradual process. That's the sort of answer you'll get. But here in Acts 19, when Paul says, have you received the Spirit? They say, no. And then he lays hands on them, and they're speaking in tongues and prophesying. And I think if he said, have you received the Spirit now? I think they say, yeah. So it's not, we're moving gradually into that. And so this, this concept that you've got everything at conversion, there's nothing more to seek. It's, I mean, that may happen to, may happen to some people. It happened in Cornelius' home. Because Cornelius was a Gentile, and uh, Peter's a bit reluctant to go into a Gentile home. And while he's still speaking, the Spirit just falls on them. They get the whole package, wacko. They're full of the Spirit. They're speaking in tongues straight away. As I said, the wind blows where you will. But these others show this pattern of coming to Christ, putting your trust in Him, and then someone laying hands on you to receive the Spirit. Now, just one more thing to just notice about this, that why did Jesus say to the apostles, wait? Why did, why, why did he say, look, wait until it comes? You should wait, and the Spirit will come. And again, when I first heard about the Spirit and was trying to find it all out, I met some Pentecostals who went to waiting meetings. I met a guy who said, I've been going to waiting meetings for 13 years. And, you know, that was it, because it says here, wait. The day of Pentecost, was so just looking at the day of Pentecost. But what we've done is looked at other cases after the day of Pentecost where no one was ever told to wait. When Ananias came to Paul, he didn't say, hey, you're going to be an apostle one day. You better find an upper room somewhere. You better go and wait. doesn't say that. just lays hands on him. All the Ananias is nobody. just lays hands on him. And the Spirit falls upon Paul. And so that thing about waiting, here in Acts 19, they didn't wait. They're still, they're still dripping with baptismal water. So there's no waiting. They just laid hands on The Spirit came. So why were the first ones told to wait, but no one else is told to wait, like you and me? Like we don't have to wait anymore. We don't have to wait another day. You know, shortly, if you'd like to, we can pray for you, and you wouldn't have to wait anymore. Just come and receive. That's what it was like in the Bible. So you can come and receive this morning. But let me just take you to John's Gospel, chapter 7. And there, there we find a very, very important verse, I think. In John 7, Jesus, it says, on the great day of the feast, the last great day, and it was the feast was uh, remembering how God provided water for them in their wilderness journey. You remember, they're supernaturally provided from the rock as Moses and these people walked through the wilderness. And they remembered that. They celebrated that as a nation. And on the last day, the, the high priest would pour out water and say, you know, this is symbolic of how God provided for us. And on that day, Jesus pushed through the crowd and shouted with a loud voice, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. He that believes in me, 
out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke about the Holy Spirit. And then it says this, which those who believed in him were to receive. But the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So if you'd come that day, if you heard Jesus say, if you're thirsty, come to me now. If you pushed through the crowd and said, yes, Lord, I'm thirsty, he'd have said, not yet. That's what it says. The Spirit was not yet. Not yet. But because I'm not worthy, because I'm not holy enough, no, nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you. It's to do with the fact we're waiting for me to be glorified. Because the coming of the Spirit is the great outpouring, celebrating the crowning of King Jesus. And so on the day of Pentecost, Jesus, uh, Peter stands up and preaches on that day. And he said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up, of which we're witnesses. He now, exalted at the right hand of the Father, glorified, has poured out this. He's poured out this. He's poured out this. And it's for you. It's for all of you. As many as the Lord wants. And many as you want. Your, to your children. So you can just come and take. And from that day on, no one was ever told to wait for the Holy Spirit. No one was told to wait again. I remember when we began being filled with the Spirit many years ago now. Uh, I remember this dear Pentecostal man, and I was speaking on this vein, I guess. He said, I've never heard that before. I've been going to tarrying meetings for 13 years. I said, would you like to be prayed for? He said, yes, please. And we laid hands on him, and he received the Holy Spirit. Oh, thank God, because he'd been waiting for, almost like that story where the man is waiting by the pool, waiting for the water to move. But no, 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 come now. Come and drink. That's what Jesus said. If anybody is thirsty, it doesn't say if anybody's special. It doesn't say if anybody's holy, very, very worthy. If anybody's thirsty. And these early apostles, they were were thirsting, praying, God, please, please come. They were thirsty. They were not impressive. You know, you may say, well, I'm not impressive. Well, Simon Peter was unimpressive. You know, he few days earlier, he cursed and swore and said, I don't know him. I don't think that qualifies him for a big gift here. It's a gift. It's nothing to do with your worth. It's the grace of God. It's because we are weak. It's because we are needy. That's why we, we don't come because, hey, I'm a shiny Christian. Please add the Holy Spirit to me. Now we come saying, I'm a needy Christian. I need power. I need help. That's how I came. God, I need help. I need it desperately. I traveled to London to be prayed for because I was such a terrible witness. A terrible witness. I was hopeless. I remember it came to a head for me one day. I was, I was at church on a Sunday and uh, we used to go morning and evening in those days. And uh, I had a, a time to kill on a Sunday afternoon. And I'm, I'm walking along the seafront in Brighton and because I've got time to kill. And I'm walking along there and I just see up ahead of me a crowd. I thought, what's the crowd? And there's an upper promenade and a lower promenade. And I'm walking on the upper promenade. What's going on? What's the crowd here? And down in the lower promenade, there were some very elderly ladies with quite frail voices holding up banners and singing. And it was fairly embarrassing. And people were throwing apple cores and cigarette packets. And it was really, you know, tough. And, and, And I thought, Lord, why is it like this? And I felt God said to me, well, I called young men to do this. I thought, oh, yeah, <laughs> not this one. And, and then there were two people in front of me. 
And one turned to the other and said, look at those old fools. Why don't they keep their religion in their church? And I mean, it's right there. And I may not feel like I'm preaching in the open air, but hey, there again, there's a guy standing there. And once again, I walked away. Once again. The number of times I missed a, every, you know, opportunities to witness, I was ashamed. And I went home from that experience, and I got before God. I said, Lord, please, please, I need, I've got to get this answered. It's not theoretical anymore. I need the Holy Spirit. And I knew a guy I used to have lunch with sometimes when I worked in London. And uh, he was just everything I'd like to be. He's so free and outgoing. And if, I, if we had lunch from time to time, and if I was late, he's always witnessing to somebody. You know, I get that he's giving a track to I think, oh, I wish I wouldn't do that, but I wish I was free to do that. And uh, I said to him, oh, can I see you? Yeah, have lunch today. And I went to him and said, what is it with you? Tell him I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, I want that. So I went to his church that Sunday. And I traveled up to London. I was so thirsty. I want the Holy Spirit. Because I hate my limitations. I want to serve God. And uh, I went up there. Uh, uh, you know, it's quite funny, really, because uh, they said, you're lucky. There's a big American preacher this week. So, you know, you're doing fine. So, you know, he'll come and pray for you. So I really got my eyes off Jesus at that moment. Because what happened was we went into a room. There's probably about 20 people waiting to be prayed for. And the guy goes around and lays hands on people. And when he, he comes to me, I think, here comes the guy who's going to do it to me. Well, I'm saying that quite deliberately. Here comes the guy who's going to do it to me. And he came around and prayed for one, one. He comes came to, came to me. He, he puts hands on his head, on my head. Guess what I felt? I felt hands on my head. <laughs> and then he went to the next one and walked out. I thought, oh, oh, what was that then? And my friend said, oh, praise the Lord. I said, what for? This is nothing. <laughs> because I, I'm saying this to be helpful, I hope. Because we can go into passive mode instead of coming and drinking. The Bible says, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. It doesn't say, come to me, sit down and wait for something to happen to you. It says, come and drink, come and take, come and breathe in. Come and do it, come and take it. It's for you, it's for you. You just come and take it. And, I, and when I understood that, and I understood that, and I, 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 I mentioned about my sister, I shot down to my sister. I said, hey, no, no, this, 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 come and take it. Oh, I've never seen that before. I prayed for her, immediately received. In fact, there were a couple of girls, there was a girl in our church, we were meeting in the town hall, in Hove Town Hall, and a uh, big crowd, but you have to get out a certain time. The guy starts rattling keys. But I had the joy of leading the student to the Lord. And she was thrilled to become a Christian. And then she asked me this question. She said, is there more than this? I said, I've never been asked that before. And I said, why? She said, there's power in this meeting. Is there more? I said, actually, there is. And, and we arranged for her to come around to our home the following weekend. So she came around, and she brought her roommate with her. And her roommate's name was Suraji, and the first girl was called Celia. And, and, and so Suraji said, Celia's changed. I mean, she's my roommate. She said she came to Jesus last Sunday. She's changed. I'd, love to be, I'd like to become a Christian. So I said, great. So I, I opened the Bible and showed her the way and led her to Christ. And she came in and cried a bit and said, oh, thank God I'm a Christian now. And then Celia said, hey, don't forget what I've come here for. 
is there some more? I said, yeah. So we went through what we're looking through here. And she said, oh, great, I want it, please, now. And then Siraji said, what about me? What about me? Now, with Acts 19 open, you can't say, oh, no way, you're not mature enough. You see, that's wrong. So I prayed for both of them. They both got filled with the Holy Spirit, started singing in tongues. One's been saved like six days. One's been saved 20 minutes. Now, some of us are saying, I don't know if I'm mature enough. I don't know if I'm special enough. You don't have to be special. You can be like Simon Peter, an absolute waste of time. And God gave him the Holy Spirit. Because it's the gift. It's not a reward for good work. It's not like you know, a general saying to his army, you go and fight, and if you do well, next time we'll give you guns. It's not like that. You need power. We need power. And so Jesus said to them, now wait to receive power. But once the Spirit was given, no one was ever told, you have to wait. Just come and take. In fact, it says in Galatians chapter 3, we receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You can be receiving the Spirit while, while we're sitting here. I was asked by a couple in our church, would you please come round and talk to us about receiving the Spirit? And I said, sure. And I, went, I went to their home that evening, and uh, I'm kind of halfway through my explanation. And the guy says to his wife, would you make some coffee, darling? So she said, sure, sure. She went out to get the coffee. And I'm, I'm kind of halfway through. I haven't laid hands on anybody. And she comes running back from the kitchen saying, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. She, she understood. It's for me, I can take it. So she just took it there. No one ever laid hands on her, nothing. She understood the promise is to you it's, and to your children. The pro, it's the promise of the Father. That's the nickname of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. He promises to give the Spirit to those who ask. So maybe this morning you're thinking, I'd love to step into this. I'd love, I'd love to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's never happened to me before. I can feel around. I can feel his presence in the meeting. I'm blessed when I hear other things. I'd love to drink myself. Well, you could do that this morning. You just come to him and take. Right? You don't come to him and think, I wonder what will happen. You come and take. You come and receive. You don't come to be prayed for even. You come to receive. There's a distinct difference there. We come and say, I can't want for this. I come to receive. Take. Come and drink. Come and drink in the Holy Spirit. And then it says often in these situations in the Bible, often it says, not every time, but often it says, then they spoke in tongues. And that often happens. It happens more often than it doesn't. I wouldn't want to put a rule like say you have to. I wouldn't say that. But I would say this, that most often in the Bible, it happens. They start speaking in tongues. And just a quick word about that. It says in the Bible, when you speak in tongues, your mind doesn't understand. The word it uses is unfruitful. Your brain doesn't understand the language. You're speaking a language, but you don't know what you're saying. That's what it says. Now, that's the gift of God. We don't understand that. It's a strange gift to have a language I don't understand. But I thank God for the gift of tongues. I use it every day. I sing and worship and praise God in tongues. Because it, it builds me up. It says in the Spirit, he that speaks in unknown tongues builds himself up. I find it so encouraging for me. It strengthens me. I'm grateful for it. But I don't understand. Right? So when you first start speaking in tongues, you're not supposed to be thinking, what am I saying? I don't understand what I'm saying. That's not the point. Okay, I say that to be helpful to you. And also, when you speak, you commit yourself to sound. 
rather like Peter, you know, when Peter was on the, sh- on the boat and he saw Jesus walking on the storm, and he said, to Pe- he said to Jesus, if it's you, command me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. I don't think Peter sat there going, oh, was that it? No, 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 it wasn't it. Uh, was that it? No, that's not it. I think he walked. He used his walking apparatus into another dimension. Speaking in tongues is like that. You use your speaking apparatus, your breathing, your vocal cords, your tongue, teeth, and lips. You do it. You do it. There's no trick. There's no, I can't say try, try this, hallelujah, backwards. No, I don't go there. <laughs> All right? Just commit yourself. And I think G- Peter must have thought, wow, where'd you put your foot down? He goes, he just walked on water right out to Jesus. But he used his normal, I, I, he took responsibility. He said, he said, come, here I go. He didn't sit there thinking, was that it? Oh, no, no, go, go. And he did, and he finally could do it. Or it's like the story in the Old Testament where the woman ran out of oil. Do you remember this? And Elisha said to her, collect as many vessels as you can and pour the oil into them. And so she did. She collected loads of vessels. And then she put the one in the middle and said, come on, oil. Jump, oil. Oil, go, go, oil. Come on, oil. No, she didn't. doesn't say that at all. It says she took it and poured. She poured what she had. The miracle wasn't that it started. The miracle was it didn't finish. Please listen to me. That's the miracle. The miracle was it kept coming. It kept coming. And that's a bit like when you first receive the Spirit and you first speak with tongues because you just start. And the miracle is it just keeps coming. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. And for me, when I first received, had it laid on me, I was, I was the worst person ever to be counseled. I argued and so on. They prayed for me, laid hands on me, and I spoke in tongues a bit, and I stopped. I said, I'm just making this up. And I'm a jazz fan. You know, I like scat singing, like Ella Fitzgerald or Mel Torme or something. I love, I love that scat singing. I thought, I didn't come here to play games. So I resisted it. And they said, no, come on, come on, just go for it, go for it. So they're very patient with me. So I just did, just did it. And when I just did it, and said, come on, come on. And this guy's fiance said to me, you're very clever making all this up. So I just kept coming, kept coming. And then I felt this whoosh go through me, right through me. And, and then I went, they went to a meeting in the big building they were in. I sat in the back row. They were mostly at the front. And my hand over my face. I spoke in tongues for about an hour and a half while they went through a service. I didn't want to stop. This sense of the nearness of Jesus. The sense of, wow, you're right inside me. It was so exciting. No, I knew I was a Christian. I knew I'd been a Christian for five years. But this was new. This was more intimate. I had the joy of going back to my Baptist church and laying hands on a lot of the young people who got filled with the Spirit. And we all went down to Brighton Seafront through that summer. And I stood on that ground floor. And some of the girls played guitar. And I stood on the soapbox and preached the gospel. Jesus had set me free. He freed me. So you'll be witnesses. You'll be empowered when the Spirit comes. So God wants to give us the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to be prayed for, we can do that this morning. You might want to go on your way and think about it more. But here we are. It's a great fellowship here. I love the intimacy of your fellowship. We can just come and pray. Would you like to stand? Maybe the keyboard player could come up. Is Simon there still? Or is he guitar? Whoever. Father, we just look to you right now. 
asking you to own your word. Lord Jesus, we, we long to make you known. We long for you to be glorified. We see our nation going down the drain at such speed. And we long for your church to be full of glory. And we long for our lives to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we do pray, Lord, that you will meet with us and help us. Amen. So we have a little time. We won't go.